The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Third Love. So when it comes to a bra, I like a lot of things to check my boxes. Do you guys know what I mean here? I want the perfect fit. I want a lot of size options, no wires, quality, convenience. Um, I'm really not a mall person either, if I'm being honest. And of course, I want comfort. So enter Third Love. You guys, you're going to love this. I'm obsessed with it. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering TSC listeners 15% off your first order, okay? If you want to get your own perfect fitting buttery soft bra, just go to thirdlove.com slash skinny and you will receive 15% off your first purchase. Make sure you use the code guys. That's thirdlove.com slash skinny for 15% off today. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. We have fear hardwired into us over like generations and generations of evolution. And that's because if you made a mistake in prehistoric times, you get you know eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or you get rejected by your clan and you're dead, right? Today, we're like in a video game where you have 10,000 lives. Like you mess up once, you can try again. You mess up again, try again. Like literally, you can just keep going back to the plate. And so I think most people sort of in, like inherently overestimate the amount of risk and overestimate how bad it is when you fail. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you just like by definition will build up a tolerance to failure or you'll stop being an entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. If you are new to the show, thank you for joining. That clip was from our guest of the show today, Nick Green, who is the co-founder and CEO of one of our favorite companies, Thrive Market. On this episode, we discuss what it takes to build and scale a business online, tenacity, overcoming fear, how to pitch investors, and the consequences of not taking action. What's up, guys? I am Lauren Everts. I'm Michael's wife. I'm the creator of The Skinny Confidential, which is a cheeky beauty and wellness resource. And I'm Michael Bostic. I am a serial entrepreneur and business operator, most recently the CEO of Dear Media, a new kind of podcast network. You also have a band. I do. I do? Yeah. What's the band? You don't know what the band is? Nope. Okay. We discussed this on Instagram story. Mimi and I are having sort of this debacle. So the dogs wake up every morning at 6.30 a.m., sometimes 7 a.m. if they're being oh, nice. yeah. Pixie and the Pretender. No, Pixie and the Pretenders. Someone recommended Pixie Chicks. But anyways, Boone and Pixie play their, um, what would you call it? It's like, a, it's like a toy with a squeaker in it. They squeak it together simultaneously to create this band to wake everyone up in the house. It works. So we're taking names. We're trying to find out what we should call the band. I think Pixie and the Pretenders because they're pretending they're starving and they're not starving. Okay. But I kind of like Lee and the Rippers because we call Pixie Lee. Uh, I don't know. I think like it reminds me of like Jesse and the Rippers. These dogs just shit everywhere. That's all they do. (laughs) Lee and the Shitters. (laughs) Anyways, welcome back, everyone. We're back. Another episode, another Thursday episode. If you're tuning in this week for the first time and you missed the Tuesday episode, be sure to check that out, especially this one holds a special place in my heart because this Tuesday I did uh, one of my first, or actually my first solo episode for this show. And um, Lauren, what did you think of the episode? I heard you listen to the whole thing. Well, Michael and I kind of got into a little fight on Sunday and I told him he could go do his own show on Tuesday. So it was perfect timing because you were already going to do the it anyway. The fans <laughs> have been coming out. They're saying, you know, I like the show so much better with just you Maybe it's solo act, maybe not. So I don't know. You better not. You better be careful. I don't know, Michael. I listen you know to what, your solo episode. Now all your people episode. are going to turn on me and comment and say, "Don't do that again." And listen, no. just give me one episode. It's fine. You know what? I liked your episode. I listened. I took notes. I thought it was really well done. Uh, I was still annoyed with you though because you were kind of a dick Sunday, but uh, I still listened to your episode. So here we are, Thursday podcasting. We've got Nick today. Nick, like Michael said, is the co-founder and CEO of Thrive Market. Very excited to have him on the show. But before we get into the interview, we want to do a him and her tip of the week. Okay, my tip actually has to do with milk. I know you love milk, Michael. If your tips don't drink milk, then I think that's a good tip. Actually, I'm not talking about drinking it. I'm talking about 
bathing in it, bathing your face in it. All right, I've heard it all. It's no, enough. Carl Lagerfield of Chanel actually bathes in this specific milk, okay? I've done a blog post on it. It's on the Skinny Confidential. It's called the No Rinse Milk Cleanser that Carl Lagerfield bathes in, okay? It's from France. I found it there. And what you want to do with this milk, okay, you want to take your makeup off with it. It's not like a real milk. That you, it, It's like a cleansing milk. Okay, Michael, you're giving me bad looks over there. So this milk that I found from France is insane for cleansing. So I'm not a fan of over cleansing the face. In fact, I only like to cleanse my face. Wait, hold on. This is actually milk that you fly in or this is like real milk or this is a powdered product that you put in? I, you're really need, you need to clarify here because I'm envisioning getting like giant jugs of 2% milk and dumping in the in the bathtub and this sounds stupid as hell. Okay. It's it's a it's a skincare product that you're probably going to steal from me after I talk about okay, it. Okay. So, so it's a product. But it's a cleansing milk. Okay. Carl Lagerfeld actually bathed in it. That's, that's true. Okay. I bathe my face in it. It's actually for babies. Okay. It's to clean babies. Did Carl Lagerfeld say this? I swear to God, there's a whole article. If you don't believe me, why are you looking at me like that? I know that you're thinking that you want to bathe in it. Okay. He did say that because he has beautiful skin, right? He, ba- yes, he bathes in the milk. No, he bathes in money and that's why he has beautiful <laughs> skin. All right. Like this, this whole milk thing, whatever. Okay. Whatever. All right. So this is cleansing milk. Okay. This solves the problem of over cleansing. And the catch is, is that you don't use it with water. So what you want to do is use like an organic cotton round and sort of tap it all over your face to remove your makeup with this milk. Okay. I like to go upward here because I don't like to pull the face down. We know that. This magic milk also removes makeup. Why does it sound so sexual? Michael, you're going to go use it. I don't know why you think this is so funny. Because... So I keep this right next to my oils, my serums, my potions, and my lotions, and it fits in with the whole crew. It's a no rinse mix cleanser, okay? It's perfect for the girl who's maybe a little hungover. She has a lot of black eyeliner, maybe the mom who's on carpool duty. Anyway, if you want to add this to your routine, okay, it's on the blog. All you have to do is Google the Skinny Confidential Milk, and it'll show up. So after I do this, I do a good serum, maybe some facial massage, a little organic oil, vitamin C eye cream, and a little spritz. I like a little skin mist. You can find this at French pharmacies or online. It's super hard to find online. I think I left a link on the blog post. I hope that it still works. I should also say before I go with my milk tip that the bottle is really cute. It has a pink top and then a bottle of milk underneath it. And Michael, I don't want to catch you bathing in it tonight. I think you will, you'll be fine in that. So if uh, my tip of the week, if you want some practical tips and productivity tools that you can do that doesn't require you to fill your bathtub with milk or whatever. You don't need to fill the bathtub. I would go and check out my episode from Tuesday. Like I mentioned, book recommendation, productivity tools, actual tools, real tools, things you can actually do and use. Um, check that out very easily digestible and um, you don't have to fly any weird powders in from France. So check that episode out. Okay. We talked about milk. So let's get into butter. Buttery soft third love that is. Okay. As you can imagine, I'm very, very specific about my pajama situation. Third love recently sent me this set. Okay. It's a buttery black loungewear outfit. It's a black tee with black little shorts. They fall in the perfect place on the leg and it was love at first sight. My boob job recovery. I wore third love. I've been wearing third love since my boob job recovery. It's so soft. And like I said, buttery, it's very ideal for curling up with a book or just watching real housewives or Nurse Jackie, which I watched a lot. Anyways, some reasons I'm a fan of Third Love, okay? The fit. They come in half sizes and they tested millions of women in the fit department so they know their shit. There's no tags too. This one's a real win for me, like I said. It doesn't feel like you're wearing a bra at all, which is kind of trippy, but amazing. The fabric is buttery and soft. There's no wires, so there's no wires poking into your boobs. There's nothing like that. For bras specifically, they have sizing A through H, which is amazing. And then the loungewear set I got is like the perfect size. It lays right everywhere. It washes well. I hate when I get something and I wash it once and it gets ruined. Do you guys know what I mean? With Third Love, there's nothing like that. I wash it a hundred times and it's fine. They also have this badass fit finder on their site. So you can find your perfect size. 
Also, you feel pretty, okay? Sometimes when you go to bed, you don't feel so pretty. I have enough oil on my face like to feed a country, so I'd like to feel cute when I'm wearing my loungewear. I don't want to wear my husband's oversized creature from the Black Lagoon 600-year-old pajamas with holes in them, you know? There's chihuahua hair all over those too, Michael. You need to wash those. Those haven't been washed since 1982. Third Love really knows their stuff when it comes to loungewear, and they know that there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering TSC listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash skinny now to find your perfect fitting bra and definitely pick up that black buttery set that I got. Okay, guys, it's the t-shirt, short sleeve, and short little shorts. I also like the pink buttery long sleeve moment too. And get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash skinny for 15% off today. All right, let's get into it with the CEO and co-founder of Thrive Market, Nick Green. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. All right, Nick, let's get the quick background. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How did you get involved in Thrive? Uh, originally here from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, so I grew up in the Midwest, uh, went out to the East coast for college and, uh, that's where I started my entrepreneurial journey. So I had a education company that I started while I was an undergrad, uh, sold it in 2011 and actually came out to LA to do an earnout. So I thought I'd be going back to the East coast, but, uh, met my co-founder Gennar, uh, who had a dream of making healthy living accessible to anyone and an experience growing up on a communal farm in Ojai. Uh, he pitched me on invest- as an investor initially, and uh, by the end of that first meeting, I was pitching him on doing it together, and you know, the rest is history. So, you went to school. You went to Harvard. Yeah. And I read oh, you, no big deal. Yeah, no, glazed over that. <sighs> and um, you started your first business out of your dorm. How did how did you have the idea to start a business while going to school? Like, what what were you doing at the time? Honestly, I wasn't doing anything, and my mom was giving me a hard time because I wasn't getting a summer job. Uh, This was the summer after my freshman year at Harvard, and I didn't want to get a job, and I asked myself, what can I do for myself? And the only thing I'd really done well on outside of school was school-related. It was the SAT, and decided uh, I'd start doing test prep. Uh, So I I was teaching classes in my hometown. I think that first summer I worked with like 150 kids, uh, and uh, from there I started hiring undergrads, uh, first from Harvard and then from a bunch of other uh, Ivy League schools uh, to teach around the country. What What is it like going? to harvard uh it was honestly it was a shock on a bunch of levels for me like i yeah i grew up in in the midwest middle class public school um it was a you know whole different level of kind of privilege obviously academic intensity um but it was also a regular college experience in a lot of ways like you know great friends awesome memories Uh, believe it or not we did socialize sometimes uh, and, uh, and, you know, set up a lot of opportunities for me. Like the, the first business is called Ivy insiders, like literally it was predicated on being at Harvard. So I can't really hate on the place that much when it gave me the opportunity to build that first company. I think that I spoke at Ivy insiders. I'm pretty sure. Really? Yes. I think, I think that that's what it was. Right. I don't know. I, I, I don't know when, when explain this was. what Ivy Insiders, insiders is. I think that it's the same thing. So we, I mean, there's first, there's lots of companies that have Ivy in the name. It's obviously a, a powerful brand in education. So it might've been something else, but our business was basically hiring undergrads from the Ivy league to go back to their hometowns and run franchises, um, for test prep. So the idea was, you know, instead of taking an SAT class from a Princeton Review instructor who's, you know, a high school teacher that took the test 10 years ago, get it from someone who took the test last year, aced it, and went to an Ivy League school. And so the whole model was predicated around uh, giving kids access to kind of a role model on these tests, uh, making them less intimidated, uh, and really treating the test as a game. So we started out with just Harvard undergrads teaching the classes, eventually went to the whole Ivy, uh, Ivy League, and then eventually we went to like the top 20 colleges around the country. And the year that we sold the business, I think we had about 850 branches. So it, it grew really, really When fast. I was reading about how fast you scaled that, it was, it was pretty shocking to me because it, it was like 43 states, over 500 locations in less than three years. That's, that's pretty massive yeah, scale. It was, it was crazy. And, and we raised no outside money. It was profitable from day one. So it was one of those like kind of dream weird businesses. It was yeah. a dream business, yeah. right? And like started from that place where it wasn't like I had you know, delusions of grandeur. Like I started it because I didn't want to get a summer job. And then, you know, one thing led so to another. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit more. What, what personality traits do you think that you have and do you think entrepreneurs need to have to be entrepreneurs? There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk now about, you know, 
you know, do your own thing, be your own boss. And I think it's it takes a specific personality, and I think it takes specific traits to actually execute and be an entrepreneur. And what what qualities do you think those are? That's a really interesting question. I mean, I feel like people have a stereotype of the entrepreneur as someone that takes a lot of risk, and they're sort of the you know swashbuckling pirate of a of a go getter. The truth is, I'm pretty risk averse. Uh, I mean, when I got to Harvard, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, as I said, like the main thing I was good at was school. The other thing I was good at was the SAT. That's not exactly the uh, the makings How of a How good at the br- SAT? I got a perfect score. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, yeah, zero relevance to real life. Wait, uh, I, I have to talk about this for a second. You got a perfect score on the SAT. Got a perfect score on the SAT. Okay, wait. Do you have to prep to get a perfect score? Like, what what entails? Uh, what I want to know, like the preparation for this. So. Truthfully, that was part of the genesis of my business that, you know, I grew up in a place where people didn't prep for the SAT. Uh, You know, the first time I heard about the SAT was when I took the PSAT. Um, And then I took the SAT and I did really well. Um, There's a bunch of kids in my graduating class who were as smart as I was and didn't do well. Like, why? Don't really know. Uh, And I got to Harvard, and you have all these kids that have been prepping since they were in seventh and eighth grade. And so, you know, the test honestly is a rigged game. You can prep for it. It's like the more the more you practice, the better you'll get. Some people naturally do well right out of the gate. Some people who are really smart don't because they get really stressed, or they don't just because it's not the way they think. So uh, you know, I wish I could say there's like a secret to the SAT. Really, the only secret is like either happen to be good at it when you start or practice it's kind of like business though right you get better as you practice and practice oh, and practice 100 well this 100%. is what i kind of this is what i want to get into is like obviously you have the test side of schooling where you're taking formulated tests yeah. and you you have to pass in order to progress but when it comes to being an entrepreneur i don't think it's as clear cut and i don't think that path is i don't want to say as easy it's, it's definitely hard but yeah. it's there's not like a test you can take to advance to the next level i mean that test is life and you get your ass kicked and so totally what is that what what differences did you find in terms of like schooling in that career and then as you started down the entrepreneurial path yeah i mean it's night and day it's it's what i was saying right like getting a perfect score on the sat going to harvard being a good student like that stuff sets you up to be a lawyer can't apply right? it, it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't set you up to be an entrepreneur right and like again if i thought about the stereotype of an entrepreneur it's someone that takes a lot of risks that breaks rules that sort of uh, goes forward and is really tenacious. I think about the stereotype of like who I was uh, going to Harvard. It's someone who like follows the playbook, works within the lines, and sort of checks all the boxes. And that was definitely the person that I saw myself as. Um, and I sort of consider myself an accidental entrepreneur, right? Like I did it because I didn't want to get a real job one summer, and all of a sudden one thing led to the other. And what I discovered though during that initial kind of entrepreneurial foray was that I, uh, I was very tenacious. And if I were to put my finger on like one thing that was the key, it wasn't being smart. It didn't help to have done well in the SAT. It wasn't like being good at following rules. That actually hurts you. Yeah. Um, it, was, uh, it wasn't anything that I'd done in school. It was just not giving up. It was being willing to like beat my head against the brick wall until it broke. Uh, it was uh, not accepting. a lot of no's. And- yeah, it was like not, I was going to say not accepting no as an answer. Can you give us examples, like specific examples of when you really pushed through something? Uh, I mean, when I, so when I, when I started my bit, my test prep business, like the first thing I did, it was like, well, how am I going to market it? Like I'm going to hand out flyers. Uh, so I like went around and, and handed out flyers, nothing. Um, I ended up going to my high school, handed around flyers, nothing. And what I realized is the flyer wasn't enough. People had to actually hear me like pitch them on why you should prep for the SAT. Cause in, in my school, no one was doing that and why this prep was so much better than any, any other option. So, you know, I ended up actually after a few iterations of like failed marketing exercises, landing on basically going to my high school teachers, asking them to give a presentation to the class. Um, and then I would give this presentation and then I would give people a free SAT practice test that I would proctor. And the whole like test, like in between each of the sections was me like telling them why they should take the course. Um, so it was sort of being willing to think outside of the box, being willing to ask a question where you sort of put yourself out there asking my previous teachers for help. Um, and you know, again, one thing led to another. It wasn't, there was no brilliant idea. There wasn't a thing where like, I just had the vision. It was just like, try this, doesn't work. Try this, doesn't work. Try this, doesn't work. Oh, there's something worked. Keep going. Well, I think it's funny because when you, you were talking about following rules and I was thinking about lawyers, I've worked with a lot of really smart lawyers and businesses that I've been involved with and, and you need those people for sure. I mean, they're, they're going to keep you on track. They're going to make sure so you don't go outside the lines. But a lot of the time also when I've dealt with smart lawyers, 
they've been hindrances to the business. Does totally. that make sense? Totally. I mean, you, I, I feel like I had to unlearn, like everything that I'd gotten good at to get to a place like Harvard, I had to unlearn to be a good entrepreneur. So, you know, but, but I think the point of that is you don't have, like, you can be naturally risk averse and that like type A, you know, nerdy student that I was, and you can still become an entrepreneur. Like that shift is a decision that you make. I don't think it's an innate quality. It was me deciding I want to do this and I'm not going to give up and making it happen. So what advice would you give to someone if they're out there and they're looking to make that transition? Where would they start? Just do it. Just do it. Like the hardest part is getting started. It's like when you're standing at the edge of a cold pool and you don't want to jump in, right? It's just, you just have to jump. And the moment that you do, you feel refreshed. And the moment that you do, you wonder why didn't I do it earlier? I always tell people they can go back. Totally. You leave a job, say you're not happy with that job, you want to start something. Like Worst case is you try something. As long as you don't get burned too bad, you can always go back to that thing that you don't like. But if you don't ever try it, then... That's so right. I mean, I think about it in, ter- in like evolutionary terms, right? Like we have fear hardwired into us over like generations and generations of evolution. And that's because if you made a mistake in prehistoric times, you get you know eaten by a saber toothed tiger or you get rejected by your clan and you're dead, right? Today, we're like in a video game where you have 10,000 lives. Like you mess up once, you can try again. You mess up again, try again. Like literally, you can just keep going back to the plate. And so I think most people sort of in- like inherently overestimate the amount of risk and overestimate how bad it is when you fail. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, you just like by definition will build up a tolerance to failure or you'll stop being an entrepreneur. Your mind goes to a much darker place than it actually ever really is, right? Like totally. You, it, you, I'm, I'm sure, have you read that book, Sapiens? You like that book? Uh, I've read part of it. You read part of it. Yeah. I always think about that book when people talk about evolution. So at this point on this show, I think the majority of this audience knows all about Thrive. I mean, we talk about it all the time. But for those, the few that don't know that listen to this show, what let's let's learn more about Thrive. What's, let's do the two-minute elevator pitch on Thrive. Cool. So 10,000 level, we're trying to make uh, healthy living accessible and affordable to anyone. So as I said, I, I got pitched by my co-founder, uh, as an investor, uh, he had grown up on a communal farm where they were doing wholesale buying of organic food back in the 80s and 90s. He had always had this dream of how do we take the, the commune, basically, and bring it to the masses. Uh, and uh, he was a serial tech entrepreneur. I had just sold my company. And uh, to me, the vision just really hit me hard of like, it's crazy that in the 21st century, it's easier to buy processed, to, to find processed food than it is to find healthy food that it's more affordable to buy Cheetos than it is to buy tomatoes. Um, and so, you know, that was the that was the vision. And we started out trying to basically do Groupon for healthy food. We were gonna do buying events uh, where people could, you know, pool together and then buy these products at wholesale prices. Uh, that didn't work. And what we pivoted to is what we are now, which is just a membership club for healthy and organic products. So you pay 60 bucks a year, you get access to all the products at wholesale price. So we don't make any money on the products. We curate the best things that you'd find in a, you know, in a, in a, a health food store like Whole Foods, but you get them at 25 to 50% off. And then what we've really tried to do is make an experience that just makes it simple and easy. So you get on your on a mobile app, we've curated the best products. You're not having to pick from 40 almond butters, you're picking from the top two or three. We have our own brand now, uh, Thrive Market, where we actually raise the standards even further. I just got the ghee butter. Yeah, so it's we're doing so infusions good. now with ghee. Uh, you know, we have nut butters where, like, literally the only ingredient is the nut, so there's no palm oil. There's coconut chips that I just got. I so, got yeah. the um, strawberry fruit leathers for Michael. I like it for me because, like you said, I don't have to go and siphon through fifty different things and figure out. That, you know, I want to eat healthy. I want to be healthy. Yeah. She's always no. It's efficient. It. That's I. I but I don't have time to figure out which yeah. what's good and what's bad. Well, it's like just... you're doing what Uber and Postmates does. You're you're selling time. We're selling time, and for a lot of people in the country, like they just can't, transparently just don't have access, right? Yeah. Like they like if, if, even if We're you want to spend out the here time, in LA a little bit. Yeah, if you, even if you want to spend the time, you can't spend forty-five minutes driving to the nearest Whole Foods. Um, so you know, we solve the geography problem. We solve the affordability problem by having it at wholesale prices. Our goal is actually to have all these products at or below the conventional equivalent. Um, and then we solve that like convenience uh, kind of ease uh, problem by just making it simple. It is really simple. And I want to let everyone know about my new favorites page on Thrive Market. I, okay, worked with my team to put all of my favorite products on Thrive Market 
on this one page, you guys. So what we did is we went through my master list. We found everything on the master list. We added it to this Thrive Market page. Then I combed through Thrive and found all the products that I'm obsessed with, that I've bought, that I've used time and time again. So to access my favorites page, all you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny and it's going to take you there. So you'll find things like my favorite organic apple cider vinegar that I have in my lemon water with a little bit of pink salt every morning. You're going to find my favorite kettle corn. Okay. This one is like the best. You'll find my Aztec secret clay healing mask which is only like five bucks and you have to try it. I've used this since high school. You'll find my favorite organic cinnamon. I add this to my coffee every single day. You'll also find my favorite tortilla chips. I love these with guacamole. Sometimes I even take the chips and crunch them up and sprinkle them on my salad. I got that tip from Melissa Wood Health. It's such a good one. You'll also find my favorite dates. I love a date. Dates are so good. I have one a day. Sometimes I even put two in my smoothie to sweeten it up. You'll find my favorite chocolates. These are things that I eat at night. There's like dark chocolate chips that I love. I love to stuff them in raspberries. And then I have these mini dark chocolate peanut butter cups that are insane on there. You'll find, of course, Four Sigmatic Obsessed. Um, Things like my favorite avocado oil mayo, organic coconut milk. You guys get the picture. Basically, it's all my favorites. There's beauty products too, which we love. Yeah, and as many of you guys know, Thrive is a sponsor of this show and of this episode, and it's one of our favorites because they do offer customers 25 to 50% below retail on all items because they do cut the middleman out. And Thrive, as always, is offering the Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, a special offer just for this show, and that is 25% off your first order and free shipping with a one-month trial when you go to thrivemarket.com slash skinny. Again, that's thrivemarket.com slash skinny. We've talked about it so many times. They're a long-term partner of the show. Nick is now on the show and we wouldn't be talking about them and having founders on the show if we didn't love the brand so much and get value out of it and hope that you guys get value out of it. So again, to check out Lauren's page, thrivemarket.com slash skinny. And Michael, if you ever forget about tongue scraping, I included a tongue scraper on the page for you. I'll never forget. What are some practical steps that entrepreneurs out there can, can take to start an online brand? Uh, I mean, each each business is different. So, as I said, Gunnar pitched me as an investor. So, for certain types of businesses, uh, you just you, if you're going to be building inventory, or you're going to be doing product development or formulation, or you're going to have to build a website, you need capital. So, if you don't have that capital yourself, you've got to go out and pitch people. So, you know, Gunnar initially pitched me. I was so captivated. I said, "Let's do it together." And you know, then we then we went out and tried to raise capital. In our case. Uh, we self-funded the business for about six months. Uh, we failed miserably to build the first website, had to scratch it. That original business model of uh, like kind of Groupon for healthy food wasn't working when we, when we tested that, so we had to scratch that. Um, and then we actually got rejected by about 50 VCs when we started pitching people on investing. Let's, let's talk about pitching. I don't think we've done that a lot on this show, and it's yeah. important, and it's, in my opinion, it's one of the biggest pains in the ass in, in, when you're an entrepreneur, but it's necessary. How did you guys originally start pitching, and did you have certain groups in mind? Did you look to certain people? Was it individuals with high net worth families? Was it? Did you go straight to VCs? Look, we we were actually a little arrogant. Like our our thought was, hey, both of us have started and sold companies before. This is a multi billion dollar space. Um, you know, we're driven by a social mission that we think people are really going to resonate with, and that we personally resonated with. Um, let's go to the like biggest, baddest, you know, greatest VCs and get a lot of money. Um, and that didn't work. So we, we, we got humble pie very quickly. And it was like just rejection after rejection after rejection. I have a question that's, that's very specific. I'm in the midst of doing a deck right now. And I would love to know, cause Michael and I are in a fight about this. How long should a deck be? It doesn't actually matter. Okay. Uh, if you're presenting the deck, the most important thing is that it has one idea per slide. Like that's, that's, that's great the only, advice. That's the only thing I would say in a deck. Like most people pack so much information into every slide and it gets totally stale. If you're not presenting it, like you have to decide what is the purpose of this deck? Is this something I'm going to send out to somebody to read before the meeting? And then in the meeting, we're just going to kind of go, uh, you know, go ad lib and, and talk. Uh, or is this something where I'm actually going to present the deck in a more formal way? If you're presenting the deck in a more formal way, it should have the arc of the story of your of you know of, of like problem and solution, and it should be one idea per per slide. If it's like something that needs to stand on its own, then you got to make sure it doesn't require voiceover. 
Okay. So it sounds like maybe you're right, not me. I, I get a little bit too creative and maybe I cram too much on one page. Well, we talk, we talk to a lot of creative people that have really, really good ideas. And I say when, you, you know, when you're trying to convey that idea to someone like yourself or an investor, there's so many things being pitched and there's so many things they're looking at on a constant basis that if you, get, if you overwhelm them with five different ideas on one page or too, many, or too much stimulation throughout the, the presentation, yeah. you, can't, you can't keep track of it. And so you tune out and go to the next thing. Totally. Yeah, I mean, like, I look at, and we now do investments through Thrive Market. I've done a lot of angel investing. And, you know, the average time that I'll spend making a decision of whether I continue to look at a pitch deck is you know, under 30 seconds. Wow. And it's like at that point you make a judgment either this is worth continuing to look at or you close it down. The next. Yeah, that's exactly my point though. Is for someone like you that's getting a lot of things across your desk that has the ability to invest, if it, if it doesn't cap- capture you right away and you express right. the idea, you're, you're moved on. That's right. And by the way, we horrifically failed at this, right? Like we tried to like boil the ocean with our pitch deck. Uh, we over-optimized and engineered everything and we got rejected left and right. So how did you change the deck from when you first started pitching to when you actually got the investment? Uh, so the, there's there's two changes that we made. One was we stopped digging in, going into the nitty-gritty details of how we were going to build the business and stepped back to tell a story about the, the vision for the business. And you know there are some businesses where that vision is more or less captivating, but in our case, that vision to make healthy living accessible, like that resonates with a lot of people. And so when we started having that conversation, it just it was a totally different dialogue than when we were trying to explain to them, you know, how we were going to do the back end logistics and how much inventory we were going to hold and what kind of tech stack we were building on. So that was one part of it. And then the second part for us was just talking to the right people. Like it turned out that for us, like, again, you talked about being in, in a bubble in L.A. Well, VCs are in a bubble, too. Right. Like they have ideas of products that they think will work based on what they would use or what they see in SF in New York and L.A. We're building a platform that's actually for mainstream middle-class America. Like it's for people that are in places like where I grew up in Minnesota. And so, you know, when we pitched them, the big question from the VCs was, how are you going to compete with Whole Foods? And it was just like every time I had to explain to them, we're not competing with Whole Foods. It's a different model. It's a total uphill battle. So for us, what actually made the difference was talking to people who already got what we were doing. So we raised our first eight and a half million dollars from influencers. We went to people like Jillian Michaels, right? People like Mark Sisson bloggers, YouTube stars, Instagrammers, you know, New York Times bestselling authors, but just people that actually cared about this this cause. And what was cool is when you, when, you, when we told the story to them, they got it right away, right? And then two, those people actually could be helpful to us beyond just investing in like it. a marketing capacity. They could be soldiers for you. That's right. And because and they truly believed, right? How has influencers impacted your business? Like I know you guys are big on podcasters. How has that helped to grow the business? It's it it's the only way we got would have gotten out the door. Right? Honestly, our our business, you know, if we had to be buying paid media at the very beginning, we would have run out of money. So what we did is we took all these influencers who had invested in the company and we asked them to go spread the word for us. And you know we did almost $40 million in sales in our first year. Uh, we didn't spend a dime on paid media. So it was wow. all health and wellness influencers. And you know we did affiliate uh, uh, programs with a lot of them, uh, but a lot of them actually took their affiliate commissions in equity. Um, and almost all of Smart. them actually had skin in the game and had invested their own cash into the deal. So, you know, for us, it was this perfect blend of like them having skin in the game, really aligning incentives, not just with getting cash, but with the long term equity of the business uh, and then having people that truly believed what we were doing. Right. Like the best influencers don't want to schlock something that they don't care about. And even if they do, it's going to come across their audience. Right. So I think what was really powerful for us is having those influencers not just have good incentives, but but really care. So let's talk about marrying a social mission to a business opportunity. Yeah. Let's. How do you look at them both separately, but also cohesively? Yeah. So that going back to that initial conversation that Gennar and I had, and when he pitched me on the business, like he was pitching me on Groupon for healthy food. It was a terrible idea on all these different levels. But what captivated me was this mission of making healthy living affordable and accessible to anybody. And what I thought was beautiful about the idea is that you've got a multi tens of billions of dollar opportunity if we can actually succeed at doing that. And it happens to be something that is truthfully good for our country. Um, and so I think what, what I find to be really special about our business, first and foremost, is that those two things are one and the same. I think a lot of like with the mission-driven businesses, there's a dynamic tension between the business and the social mission. 
Um, and sometimes it feels like the business is just doing it to just do the social mission. It totally. It's feel, like a bolt-on. It's yes, a bolt-on. There's no synergy. Yeah. I always, I always have difficulty with businesses. And listen, there's nothing wrong with this help charity. But when they say, like, I'm creating this and we donate this to charity, it's like yeah. that's what you're using as the hook sale. And I think that, that you know, when you look at, like, Tom's Shoes, that they were the very first example of that. But now I feel like everyone's doing, like, and we add X or X, round up to charity. I'm like, are you yeah. doing that for a sale or because it's actually... Like yeah. part of the brand identity. Yeah, and so for us it was it was the latter, right? It was actually why we started the business. And you know, we do donate a free membership for every paid member on the site. We've donated hundreds of millions of those, uh, or sorry, hundreds of thousands of those memberships already. Um, and we've raised in the last year through Donate at Checkout about a million dollars of shopping budget that goes to those gives members so they can actually spend on the site as well. So we're doing a lot of that stuff. But what's what's actually I think cool about the the business is that even those people that are paying for membership, that's part of our social mission too, right? It's not just the gives members. It's the like middle-class middle American mom who, you know, can afford to pay $60, but can't afford to go to Whole Foods that, you know, yes, that's a great business opportunity for us. Like we make money off of that customer, but it also is in line with our values because she's now feeding her family healthy when she wouldn't have been able to before. How has your life changed from when you first launched Thrive to now? Oh gosh. Uh, you know, I had I had sold that last business and basically was doing a one year earnout uh, with the acquiring company, and you know it was the first time in I was 20, uh, 27 at the time or twenty six at the time, and it was the first time that I had had like real time, you know, like not been just back to back to back to back with other studies or, or work, and uh, and so you know now it's back to the grind in some sense. Like I work eighty plus hours a week and I have for the last four years since starting Thrive. Um, but I think what's been unique about it and I had never experienced before, which goes right back to the mission, is like, and I wouldn't say I love every hour of every day, but like truly having no qualms whatsoever with the amount of time I'm committing to the to the project because I believe in it. What's your day-to-day like? Is there not one that's like the other? Uh, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm back to back. I overschedule. I think a lot of us do. And I, I, I've been trying, actually, from a... It's difficult to not. It's so hard not to. Like, I, I try, actually, to build space into my day. So, like, one thing I do is I don't take any meetings anymore before 10 o'clock a.m. We're twins. I don't either. And I, But I get into the office by 8. Okay. So I give myself two hours of, like, solid work time at the beginning of the day. I want you to do this. You should do this. Well, it's important because you're well. You're somebody that's like back to back to back. Yeah, but I want you to do this. Go on, keep going. You so need to take left notes. to my own devices, I'm back to back to back to back, like from the beginning of the day to the end. Um, but building in that two hours, what I found is one, it sort of like sets my energy level through the rest of the day in a different way, just because I'm not like go 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 from the, from the moment I wake up. Two, I can get some of the most important strategic work that I need done. With like it early on, which just gives you momentum and, and makes you feel good as you as you go into the rest of the day, um, and then uh, and then three, uh, when I do actually need to do something, I have time. To, I can actually fit it in, and I'm not having to scramble things at the, at the end of the day. So that's been a good hack for me. What's your morning routine look like? So I get up around six thirty. Uh, I have a thirteen month old uh, daughter, uh, so she is my alarm clock. Uh, so I'm, you know, changing diapers and getting breakfast ready in the morning. Uh, I try to have at least a half hour to an hour with her. Uh, I'm usually out the door by 7.30 or so um, and in the office before 8. Um, I, I work out only twice a week. Uh, so I've been doing Barry's Boot Camp uh, for about a year now. I heard um, that's hard. It's awesome. Like, like, And I'm sure there's a lot of other great programs. Like, I, I like circuit training just because it, it keeps things interesting. Um, and berries in particular, just, you know, it destroys you, but you feel great the rest of the day. Um, I find that doing, I I used to work out more often than that. I find doing twice a week for like a real workout, full full hour, high intensity, you know, as as in my, my elder years is, is plenty. Um, and then I use a, I use an app called seven. That's a seven minute like exercise. I've heard a lot of people talk about it. It's really good. Actually. It's awesome. My uncle does that. And he's like, you know, he's almost 60 and he's looking good. I mean, like my, you know, I used to have goals around like building strength or like, you know, kind of um, uh, vanity goals on on working out. My only goal right now is to stay healthy. So I basically do seven the days that I don't uh, work out. I work out in the morning on Wednesday and Saturday. And then other than that, I basically had time with my daughter and then into the office. 
So as, as the CEO of the business now, there's a lot of different things you have to pay attention to. And jumping forward, you know, there's been a lot of growth and a lot of scale in the business. What, what are the most important metrics that you paid attention to in the beginning that you're now paying attention to with scale? So the, the, one, the, the number one thing we were looking at at the beginning, um, which was uh, kind of intoxicating and I would say um, not healthy for the business, was kind of growth for growth's own sake. Right. So just like so the, the vanity, the vanity metrics. Right. How many members do we have? Um, how many? What's the what's the revenue look like? Um, and looking at that in like two ways that it was bad. One was looking at that to the exclusion of other metrics. And the other was looking at it on too micro a level. You know, I think like a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs will know that experience of just refresh, refreshing the revenue page all yeah. day long. Uh, we did a lot of that. And you end up you, you end up paying attention to a lot of noise. Uh, and you miss other signal that is more fundamental to the business. And I think where we have, where we have really moved to, uh, is looking starting. So like, what are some of the things you would miss? Uh, well, for example, if you're looking at just the number of customers that you have, you're not paying attention to the experience those customers have. You're not paying attention to the quality of those customers. You're not looking at the like predictive lifetime value of those customers. And you know, you can build a business. I call it the leaky bucket syndrome, where you're just pouring water in, but all the water's coming out. It's you know, it's overflowing, and you're not retaining those customers. And for our business, like we don't make any money on the product sales. Like we're passing on all the savings to our members. The only way that we will make money as a business is if those members have such a good experience that they're renewing every single year. So ultimately, you know, we can push short-term growth by just pouring water in the bucket. But unless we have a real, unless we have no leaks in the bucket because people are having an amazing experience, we don't we don't win as a business. And again, what's cool about that is that aligns our incentive with our with our members' incentives and with our mission, because what'll be good for the business ultimately is pursuing the metrics that create member value, because member value drives renewal and renewal will drive our profitability. So today we're a lot more like one of our four company values is member obsession. And all of our initial, like our main metrics that we look at, our KPIs that we look at on a daily basis, tie to member value. I also think it's cool that it seems that you guys look at your your clients as influencers too. They'll go out and tell all the people. When I launch product, I hope that um, I I want to look at each of my um, consumers as someone that is an influencer in in themselves. That's so right. And like the the best marketing, the cheapest marketing is people is word of mouth. Um, it not only like builds the brand, it brings in other cu- other customers who are going to be more loyal, um, and it doesn't cost you anything. So, you know, I think what we've I think there's a tendency, especially when you raise a lot of money, and we ultimately have we've raised a lot of money. Um, you like pour that money into marketing, and you pour it into channels that are quote unquote scalable, um, and you can stop focusing on the quality of the experience and the quality of those members and. Um, ultimately, like to build a real business, you've got to have people that are talking about the business, and you got to have real value that's being delivered to them. So, at this point, what would you say the number one challenge to scale is? What is the biggest hurdle to your to, to scaling the business as you guys have grown? Because I mean, you have done so much revenue now, and there's so many different customers. It's it's a lot different than when you're operating in a, a small business. Now you're operating a massive business. A lot of money has been raised. A lot of customers. What does what does scale look like? I mean, the hardest thing is just is just deciding. It's, I would say two things. One is deciding what to do, right? There are so many different things that you can spend your time on. And truthfully, that's the, that's, that's the case when you're a small business too. So being maniacally focused on the right priorities based on what's really important, uh, understanding that growth is not the only thing that's important and starting with your customer or starting with your member um, and prioritizing from there, I'd say that's the first thing. Um, and then the second thing that we're that is really challenging for us right now is just scaling the back end to meet demand. What's your biggest failure? Oh gosh, too many. Honestly, like I said this before, but I think the like as an entrepreneur, you're failing all day long. You kind of uh, get used to it, huh? <laughs> you have to, right? Yeah. Or you have to stop being an entrepreneur. Just get I mean, punched in the face every week. Yeah, I mean, it goes, like, goes back to tenacity, right? Like, yep. the, the, the number one skill that you'll develop as an entrepreneur is a basically a, uh, a numbness to, to failure. Uh, and I, and I, I think even going beyond that, like, you know, Nassim Tlaib talks about anti-fragility, right? Which is that you're, not just, you're not just resilient, you actually get stronger from failure, right? Like Nietzsche, this is a whole thing that doesn't kill you, makes, makes you stronger. Like I didn't really get that till- It's true though, because there's things that 
you used to freak out about it. I always that that if it happened now, I wouldn't even think about it. Totally. Right. Totally. What do you think some of the biggest mistakes young entrepreneurs make are, or even let's just let's say maybe not everyone's an entrepreneur, but young business people make. Uh, I think that the the biggest mistakes are mistakes of inaction. I think it's like not jumping. I completely in. agree with you. Not executing. Yeah, and like even like. No execution is worse than poor execution. Totally. Uh, certainly in the early stages, right? There's a time like we're now at a at a scale where it's very costly to like to organizationally for us to you know do things do things wrong. But early on, as we were talking about before, the cost of failure is actually so low, and so the biggest mistakes you make is is rationalizing in action and deciding that I'm going to you know wait for this or like I have to have the perfect conditions or I want to like have the pitch deck be. You know, absolutely perfect before I go have conversations. I think, you know, entrepreneurs need to just get out there and just push. I, f- I find when I do stuff, when I put myself out there, um, we did something a couple weeks ago where I had to put myself out there. I can sit back, reflect on it, and then refine what I didn't like about it so the next experience is better. I feel like putting yourself out there more and more, you're able to refine it to get it to where you want it to be. Yep, and, it, and that's true with everything in entrepreneurship, right? Whether it's pitching, whether it's with your product, right? Like lean startup, right, is like minimum viable product, get it out there and then iterate. And I think, you know, so many of us, especially those like if you're if you're ambitious, right, you're likely to be a perfectionist. And that's like that's the worst Achilles heel is not putting something out there until it's perfect. I'm thinking of the young person who's listening that says, Nick, I have obligations. I don't have a lot of money. If I take this chance, I could put myself in a real trouble here. What would you tell somebody who's making those types of excuses? they're just it's just gonna get, reasons it's gonna get harder and harder the longer you wait yeah right like i am so glad i started my business my first business when i did because i got out there when like i didn't have kids right i didn't have to make money i was still living under my parents roof right that that summer um and i did it you know my after my freshman year of college so it wasn't like the opportunity cost wasn't not doing some big special internship it was like not you know working at the dairy queen so uh the there will always be opportunity cost there's always gonna be sacrifice it's always going to look hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. Um, but the longer you wait, the harder it gets. And at some point, it actually becomes impossible. Like when you have real responsibility, right? Like where I am right now, I couldn't start. Like I couldn't start the business uh, with you know a kid and a wife and a house unless I had started back when I was you know eighteen. I mean, you could, but the stakes would just be really high because you don't want to put other people I in mean, jeopardy. Those, yeah, in a sense, those are the entrepreneurs that I respect the most who are taking real risk. In a sense, though, it's it's kind of irresponsible, yeah. right? Like once you have real responsibility, you know. There's a real thing. I I, I believe that true entrepreneur. Like I don't think they have a choice, though. I don't think they could be happy as human beings if they don't. Look, you know what I, I mean? I think, and not to get too philosophical, but I think human beings are we're creative, like. We're creative beings. That's what it means by to nature, be human yeah. by nature. And whether your outlet is art or it's music or it's entrepreneurship, like all of that is is or you know or Instagramming, whatever it is. Well, the right? internet's made all of those things monetizable. Everyone's a creator yeah. like by nature, and you like the internet is a reflection of our human impulses, and our impulses are to create, to share, to communicate, and um, and if you are if you're doing something with your life that doesn't enable you to do that in some way, um, I think you're going to be unhappy and that's for everyone. There's something, uh, there's an article I was reading about the, the fund you launched Alliance for good. Is that, am I saying that? Yeah. Is that the name? Can you let this audience know more about that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we started the company cause we wanted to make healthy living accessible to everyone. Um, we've been incredibly fortunate despite lots of failures along the way to have gotten incredible support to have grown and scaled the business significantly uh, and to have created real equity value for ourselves and our investors. And, you know, around last year, I guess maybe two years ago, when we um, when we took our Series B investment, we raised $110 million. And it was sort of this, like, step back moment to say, um, all right, we're going to, we're buckling down to take this business to the next level. We've been incredibly lucky. And, the, you know, the business is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. This wasn't what we expected to happen so fast. How do we how do we pay that forward? How do we act now in a way that's consistent with the with the reason that we started the business? And our answer was to commit a portion of our uh, equity value in the business uh, to in a vehicle called a donor advised fund, uh, basically to charity. So we didn't know what charities we wanted to contribute to. We knew we wanted them to be associated with healthy living access, which is the mission of the business. 
um, but we took a sizable portion of our equity value. Uh, it was about $14 million total between the three of us um, and committed it to that. And as we went through the process, it was really, really hard to do. It was surprisingly difficult to like administratively set it up, like work with the tax. It took a whole other business. It took. It was like tens, tens of thousands of dollars of expense, and we're like, "This is crazy! Like, we're wanting to give our money away. Why is it so hard to set this up?" And so we said, well, "Like, what if we created a structure that made that easy for other entrepreneurs?" Um, and so called it the Alliance for Good. Uh, we've got dozens of other entrepreneurs who are going to come in and make a similar commitment. And the nice thing is you can make that commitment with a donor advised fund before you actually sell your business. Um, and, uh, and there's actually tax benefits to doing it that way. Uh, so it's, it's another one of those situations, kind of like the, our business being the same as our social mission, where we feel like it can actually be in the best interest of the entrepreneur, and especially if they already plan on giving, giving a part of their, their wealth away, um, and it can do a lot of good. Well, if you don't believe in thrive before now you should you should now really quick before we go favorite book podcast resource well this is obviously my favorite podcast <laughs> thank you uh favorite book uh, i love biography so do i um i like i think i learn more from biography than any sort of who, who are some of your favorite biographies or what are some of your favorite biographies who are so some i like people? i like reading about on, like entrepreneurs from different eras okay because uh, so I. I feel like when you get away from, like when you're reading about entrepreneurs you already know something about or they're in like businesses that you know something about, you come with all these like biases and preconceptions. Um, you know, when you read about Vanderbilt or uh, Rockefeller uh, or Carnegie, it's like you're immersed into a whole new world and you get to see it with fresh eyes. Have so you read I, Ron Chernow's books? Yeah, He's Ron Chernow's awesome. So yeah, he, he did Rockefeller's biography, yeah. Titan. Uh, that was actually the first big one that I read. Um, I listened to all of them on Audible. So much easier. And those are thick books. He did what he did one in Washington. I think he did one in Hamilton. And yeah. now he's going to read the Skinny Confidential book because I gave him one. That is a deep biography. Yeah. There we go. Is <laughs> it on that, Audible? You have that and Coconut Oil Lube. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> what more can you ask for? Yeah, Thank you so much, Nick, for coming on. Where can everyone find you and thrive? Thanks for having me. It's thrivemarket.com. Uh, really, really appreciate the time. And if you guys Instagram. use our link, thrivemarket.com slash skinny. Yeah, use our link, guys. Guys, don't forget to follow along on our Instagram account. It's at TSC Podcast. We post a lot on there. You can also access our website at link in bio, and that is tscpodcast.com. We sort of streamlined all the episodes for you so you can find everyone's favorite resources and books. And when they talk about skincare, it's all on the site. So everything's very organized. As always, let's do a little giveaway. To win five beauty products, simply tell me your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram. I'll DM one of you in the next couple days. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next Tuesday. And make sure you listen to Tuesday's episode because there were two episodes this week. See you next week. This episode was brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is your one-stop shop for high-end, high-quality, and highly discounted groceries, supplements, beauty products, and household supplies. Thrive Market guarantees its customers 25 to 50% below retail on all items because it cuts out the middleman. Thrive Market is offering all Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, 25% off your first order and free shipping with a one-month trial when you go to thrivemarket.com skinny. Again, that's thrivemarket.com skinny. Happy shopping, everyone, and we will be back next week. I don't ask for much when it comes to bras, okay? Just the perfect fit. Maybe a lot of size options, quality, convenience. I, I prefer not to go to the mall if I'm being honest. And of course, I want comfort. So enter Third Love, guys. Like I said earlier, I'm obsessed. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering TSC listeners 15% off your first order. This is so fitting for me giving recent events. Boob job. Anyway, go to thirdlove.com slash skinny and you get 15% off your first purchase. If you want to get your own perfect fitting buttery soft bra, just go to thirdlove.com slash skinny and get 15% off your first purchase. Make sure you use the code guys. That's thirdlove.com slash skinny for 15% off today.